Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a Monday edition of Howard David Live as we get going with um, a master of uh, a lot of trades. Uh, he is Mike Tarico of NBC Sports. Before we get uh, into the business of the day, Mike, i got to ask you this just for, to lighten the mood a little bit. If there was a movie about Mike Tarico's life, who would, who would you want to play Mike Tarico? Oh my gosh! Yeah. It, it, it would be some character actor who's uh, who's who's a has been. <laughs> I, I never really thought about that, Howard. Um, that's a that's a great question. I, uh, I got I got a suggestion. Go go, please. About, I'll take it. How about Trevor Noah? Trevor Noah. Oh, I, I I can only hope to be as witty and funny, so I will take that and <laughs> run with it. And maybe somebody to rub off. But that's a good one. I like that. But who plays Howard David in the Howard David story? In my mind or in reality? In your mind. Ray Liotta. <laughs> Ray, Ray Liotta. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. No, I, you know, to be honest, since I love mob movies, I would hope it would be somebody who was in a mob movie, but not somebody that got whacked. I mean, somebody who... <laughs> right, right, right. right. Those, are, those are definite characters that stick out. They, they, they don't make as many of you know, those like big-budget, big actors in the movies... All together, nearly as many. I think the COVID shut that down a little bit. I'm interested to see if Hollywood's going to have that resurgence next year or two, when hopefully people start getting back to the theater because it's been. I, I don't know about you, but it's been quite some time since I've been to a theater. Yeah, I uh, I feel the same way. But you know, I, I always had this this urge, like when you sit and you watch a mob movie and you've seen it before, and then you want to shout out at the screen, specifically, Fredo, don't go in the boat. <laughs> That's a lot of watching, a lot of good old time movies. Good for you. I love it. <laughs> He's Mike Tarico of NBC Sports. Uh, uh, part of the Syracuse, speaking of mob movies, Syracuse mob. Costas, Tarico, Albert, Len Berman, Ian Eagle. Both Ian Eagle and his son. I'm leaving somebody out, aren't I? Uh, Dave Pass, Sean McDonough. Okay. Dave Stockton. Did, did you get those guys? Yep, yep. Uh, well, Stockton, I, I, I lived in the same community with Dick down in sure. Florida. Uh, for about 12 years. So, yeah, I used to see Dick frequently. And he obviously, as you know, has retired yeah. uh, from uh, from his place. Uh, I uh, Look, when, when you set out in the broadcasting business, you hope to survive. And then after you get to a certain point, uh, you say to yourself, well, what is there left to do? So you've done a lot. I mean, you've been in, in the horse racing arena. You've been in the basketball arena, football arena. Uh, uh, Olympics. What's left for Mike Tirico to do? Oh, you know, there, there's plenty. It's obviously you've done one uh, Winter Olympics in South Korea in 2018. I'm looking forward, hopefully, health willing and pandemic willing, uh, that we get to Tokyo for the 2021 games, uh, 2020 games in 2021. 
because the Summer Olympics just has a different cadence, a different largesse, a different majesty than a, a Winter Games does. Twice the number of athletes almost and countries involved. So that would be one. Um, you know, I, I would say after that, and you, you've been lucky enough to be involved in the Super Bowl, calling the game. You know, I, I think just hosting the Super Bowl pregame and then calling a game hopefully somewhere down the line. It's our biggest sporting event in the country. Uh, nothing comes close. It, it's a global event. And uh, just to have that uh, that challenge would be certainly a thrill to be a part of. So I, I hope down the line I get a chance to do that. But if not, I've been to plenty. I've been to plenty of great events and had a much much bigger and uh, larger run than I ever could have imagined coming out of school. I remember the first time I went to an Olympics. It was 1992 in Albeville in France uh-huh. for CBS Radio. And I remember the feeling I had. And there was a sca- uh, ice skater named Bonnie Blair who won, sure. a, yeah, she won a couple of gold medals during that Olympics. And I remember being in the arena and she's getting the gold medal and they play the national anthem. I got it. You know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit, don't doesn't it? It does. There, there's no doubt, Howard. I, I got a chance in 2016, which was the first Olympics that I worked with NBC. I got a chance to host the daytime portion of the Olympics uh, with Rebecca Lowe and Al Michaels. The three of us did two to three hour stint each, uh, depending on the day. And then that left our nighttimes free because daytime in the U.S. and daytime in Rio were, were pretty pretty synchronized on the clock. So I had a chance to go to some of the night events, which meant getting a chance to watch Michael Phelps in the pool hmm. and watch Phelps win gold medals and be there to see that happen. I was there, saw Kenny Ledecky win a gold medal and Michael Phelps. And you're right, the medal ceremony, even though you are neutral as a broadcaster, uh, to be there and experience it as an American, as a fan, was a thrill. And I'll tell you from 2018, from the Winter Olympics, the two events that just really stick out for me. One was the U.S. women's ice hockey team winning the gold medal in overtime against Canada, a Canadian team who is their fierce rival who had beaten them multiple times before in prior Olympic Games. Uh, To see the U.S. win the gold in overtime in a shootout was just a a great event. It was on... Uh, one of our cable networks and then it went so long with the overtime we brought it over to nbc on our late night show it was just a really fun night to to be on the air and enjoy watching that and then the other one for me howard that will stick out forever was the opening ceremony in south korea Mm. and watching north korea and south korea march in together under one flag a unified country yeah uh, at that time it was, uh, it was so historic because if you think about it, North Koreans walking around in South Korea at any other time would have certainly been um, an increase in suspicion, would have probably been brought in by authorities for questioning at a minimum. Uh, the countries share a border and a language, but little else. And you would have seen probably some other issues related to North Koreans being in South Korea. But here they were, and... Uh, the sister of the ruler of North Korea was sitting just feet away from, at that time, Vice President Mike Pence's wife, Karen. So just to see all of that in one place and to watch that moment happen and be on the air for that was was just an extraordinary moment that, that we can sometimes be accused of being Pollyannish about uh, what the Olympics can represent. But as we've seen in the last four years, as North Korea and South Korea do not get along any better than they did before the Games, 
the Olympic Games stopped war and brought together countries mm. uh, and people who don't see eye to eye. And that is still the power of sports, albeit not as uh, on display as often, I think, as many of us would like to see. And it's still there and it's still real. NBC's Mike Tirico, uh, a guy you may know, Bob Costas, you heard of him. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In, in, as good as it gets. Yeah. In 2002, I'm in Salt Lake City. And my wife came with me on the trip. So our studios at CBS Radio was across the hall from the NBC studios. Mm -hmm. So during breaks and all that, Costas and I would run into each other on a, on a daily basis. And we used to play, um, and you're not going to beat Costas when it comes to baseball trivia. It's just not possible. Right, right. But I got him with Brooklyn Dodger trivia, having grown up in <laughs> Brooklyn. And so he said, okay, I'm going to give it to you. I, I, I got one for you that you're not going to get this. I said, uh, mm, okay, go ahead, go. He goes, in 1953, I said, Bob, I was a kid. He goes, 1953, you know Dodger history? Here it is. The Dodgers brought up two pitchers the same weekend, and a weekend later, they wound up starting opposite ends of a doubleheader. I said, wow. Roger Craig and Carl Spooner. He goes, oh, no. He goes, get out of here. You can <laughs> I said, Bob, you can't fool me with Dodger trivia. Anywhere else, I yield to the great man. But That's pretty, not when it comes to good. Brooklyn Dodger trivia. So we, we had a lot of laughs. And, you know, as you well know, Bob. The camaraderie of, of the broadcast center, you know, the, uh, and I got to experience that a little bit in 2018 in South Korea. The International Broadcast Center truly is that. So not only do you have your coworkers with NBC who are coming in for different shifts, uh, Wes was one of the times doing the radio, so I bumped into some of, some of those folks who happen to be there. But you're also right across the hall from uh, British television, CBC, Canadian television, had their studio just right across the hallway from you know, ours, almost almost uh, diagonally, catty corner from us, French TV. Uh, you, you just have all these different countries, and it is really interesting to see, uh, one, everyone in the same place, but also how truly international that broadcast center is, and people are sending back the images and the commentary and the events that matter to their people, their population, their cities, their countries um, in, in their own unique way. So the, the entire events going on, it's truly being sent around the world and uh, narrated and broadcast and hosted uh, from this broadcast center. It's a really fascinating place. I'm glad that we had the experience to be there in 2018 for sure. Mike, uh, obviously very much involved in the Triple Crown of Racing. And, of course, the big news yesterday was uh, the announcement that the Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, uh, is the, the, uh, the, the title may be taken away as Kentucky Derby winner because there's an investigation and allegations about uh, drug use and so on. And Bob Baffert has come under tremendous scrutiny. And Bob Baffert, having won his seventh uh, Kentucky Derby with Medina Spirit, and so whether or not the horse is going to run in the Preakness Stakes remains to be seen. But based on what you know, Mike, and, and, and obviously Baffert has refuted the allegations about the drugs that were taken. He said he did not uh, do any of that. And the question is, how many people? Uh, well, first of all, let me, let me deal with the bigger issue. At what point does he get due process? Yeah, well, there, that's, that's part of the conversation. I'll give you an, an example of the due process can take a while back in 2020 and again the season was oddly constructed because of covid 
one of the big prep races, the Arkansas Derby, was run later in the year than it normally is run. It was such a large race that they split it into two divisions. Bathford had horses in each division that won. One horse, drug test, comes back clean. Another horse comes back with a drug test that raised some suspicion. Baffert was suspended by the Arkansas Racing Commission for 15 days. Just last month, Baffert went and testified at a hearing on his behalf in front of the Arkansas Racing Commission because he had appealed the suspension. The suspension was wiped away. He was fined. So there is due process in all of this stuff as it plays out. Um, Tower, you know, I, I can't match you guys on trivia. I, I wouldn't be able to match uh, somebody on horse racing trivia, but we really became familiar with this. There's a, one time before that a horse was disqualified because mm -hmm. of a failed post-race drug test. That was in 1968. The horse, his name was Dancer's Image. Right. And was disqualified because of a banned anti-inflammatory. It took four years, four years to fully adjudicate that matter in the court system. So just because uh, there has been reports of one test being positive and they'll, they split the sample so they run a second series of tests, that could take weeks. After that, we could be looking at litigation, that due process you're talking about. So we may not know for weeks or months, and it's not out of the question to say years, if in fact... Medina Spirit will be disqualified as the winner of the Kentucky Derby, and if it will stand up in a legal case. So, as it stands right now, Mandolin, who finished second, uh, I mean, could be declared the winner of the Kentucky yes. Derby. And the first question that came out of somebody's mouth that I was with yesterday uh, in my family, we had Mother's Day dinner, uh, was about the wagering. Uh, what about yeah. the horse? What about the the, uh, the pari mutual betting that was paid off the day of the Derby? I mean, you can't change that. Right. But let's take that in that small view, Howard, and then take it in the larger view. On the small end of that, you're right. Now, we often hear hold all tickets. Let me go back to 2019 when maximum security was the horse that won the Kentucky Derby but was disqualified because of interference and Country House, a 65 to one shot, was named the winner of the Kentucky Derby. That was an inquiry that was handled at the track before the results were made official. It took 22 minutes to do that from the time the race ended until the disqualification was uh, announced by the stewards. In this case, it's been made official. So once it's official, you're no longer in that mode where you say, hold all tickets. All tickets start to get cashed. And tickets have been cashed. People have been paid out. If there's a change and Medina Spirit is disqualified eventually and Mandaloon becomes the winner of the Kentucky Derby, that horse and his human connections, Mandaloon, they'll get first place prize money. Medina Spirit will not. And then that finances will go accordingly the rest of the field. But that doesn't affect the paramutual. Once it's official, bets are paid. Because, Howard, if you're betting the eighth race at Belmont and you win, you're more likely to spend more money on the ninth race. So there's no way that the tracks are going to say, hold your ticket for a month and then we'll pay you, pay it off. We'll wait for the drug test to come back. Just impractical. So even though the result may change, the wagering in terms of the paramutual side will not change. Uh, Mike Tirico from NBC Sports. So following this podcast, you're going to get a briefing uh, from the Derby officials. Is that what you're looking forward to? Uh, I've got a call with uh, some folks 
from the Kentucky Derby. Just to, I want to get some clarification from them. And it's one big thing uh, that uh, they, they were able to reach out and tell me they get back at a certain time. It has to do with the split sample that we're talking about. Uh, Joe Draper, the New York Times, wrote that the split samples can often take three to four weeks to be looked at. So you've tested one sample, there's a result. Now, interestingly, Howard, the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, they have jurisdiction here. They have not come out and said, Medina Spirit, Bob Baffert's horse, failed the drug test. Hmm. They wait for confirmation from the second sample. So they have not come out and directly done that. However, Churchill Downs, on its own, has decided to suspend Baffert from being able to train at Churchill Downs. So I want to find out why that happened and then why the split sample takes three to four weeks in a situation where you'd like to have an immediate answer with the Preakness being less than a week away on this coming Saturday. You'd like to know, was the horse with two samples confirmation uh, running with a substance in his system that he should not have? It's a substance, by the way, that is more for a therapeutic i would say it's a drug that reduces pain and swelling it is not a steroid that is yeah be considered a performance enhancer right here's the here's the problem if a horse has a pain reducing medication maybe it's masking soreness that would keep the horse from running a bit slower so the horse may be running a little bit faster and that would put the horse the other horses and the jockeys uh, health into safety and concern. That's why, even though it's a, more of a therapeutic, they want it out of the system 14 days before competition, not to mask any pain, which would show itself in speed. Hey, Howard, let me give you this this scenario, which is an interesting part of your first question about the wagering. You know, more than ever now, people have the opportunity to wager on sports legally. Uh, many states have situations where you can bet by your phone you know if you're in new york you cross the state line on the middle of the george washington bridge get into jersey then your betting account in new jersey activates and you can make a bet as soon as you cross state lines it's that geo specific and geo blocked on the new york side so there's more more chances to wager legally there's only a finite amount of money in my opinion that people wager on sports and for a long time that has gone to in the legal world horse racing now, if there's any doubt or question about the validity, the, um, the way the game is run, is it fair? Is there funny business going on? If there's any doubt, what's to take the horse gambler from moving that money from horse racing to baseball or to any other sport? So I think that is a very important, deeper subset of this conversation. Will the reputation of the sport take a hit that would impact the bottom line of the sport which runs off of paramutual wagering. Interesting. Mike Tirico of NBC Sports, uh, shifting gears a little bit in some of the things that you have done over your life. And people mm-hmm. ask me all the time, what's, what, who's the greatest athlete you ever saw? I'll go back to way before I was even in broadcasting. A- yeah. Actually, uh, actually it was early on in my career. I went to Belmont Park in 1973 mm-hmm. for, for the Belmont Stakes. I saw the greatest athlete I ever saw, Secretariat, <laughs> one by 18 lengths or whatever it was. And I'm sitting there in the stands, and I'm not a gambler. I, you know, if I if I'd bet on sports, I'd be living in a Vornado box under the highway. We all would be. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not good at it, so I don't do it. 
But I'm at the track that day as an invited guest, and I'm watching this horse. I'm saying to myself, this cannot be real. And obviously, and the explanation I heard years later was Secretariat supposedly had a larger-than-normal heart for a horse for well, for for a uh, for a horse that 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 uh, you know ran competitively. Yeah, for for a thoroughbred, it's the legend of Secretariat, the, a a huge heart. Sometimes, most times, that is a metaphoric phrase in sports. It's a it's a it's an actual phrase with Secretariat. Yeah, uh, you know, that that's one of the great uh, calls of a horse race of all time. There've been so many great. Uh, callers of horse races. We get to work with Larry Colmus, who's now the voice of the Triple Crown. In New York for years, we were uh, so spoiled with people like Dave Johnson's right. down the stretch they come. Chick Anderson was the guy at the time who called the races in New York, and uh, he has that famous line of Secretariat running like a tremendous machine <laughs> as he uh, extended away down that long stretch at Old Sand, Big Sandy, Belmont Park, and the crowd was going nuts and uh, got the Triple Crown there in 1973. And it is funny, Howard, because people will laugh. People will kind of you know raise an eyebrow when you refer to the horses as equine athletes, which is a proper term. It is a term that uh, you know the folks who care for the horses and are around them appreciate hearing. And when you look at these horses, they really, they really are. They're treated like athletes. They are trained like athletes train. Um, it, it's a very unique sport to cover. I've learned a lot being around it. There are issues within the sport, no doubt. It is in desperate need of a large oversight. Uh, like, let's, let's look at this Baffert deal right now. If this was the NFL, Roger Goodell could weigh in. If it was the NBA, Adam Silver could weigh in and say, look, this horse is not running. This trainer is not be not allowed to have horses enter that he trains in the prequels. There's, we've done an immediate investigation. We've got our security folks on it. That's it. Kentucky has one set of rules. Maryland has another set. New York has another set. California has another set. They don't abide by everyone else's rulings. So Maryland is under no pressure to say, hey, Kentucky, you did that. We'll back you up. We'll ban Baffin. They can't do that. So they could, they could choose to, but it's not part of their charter, not part of how they do business. So it's a sport that is in desperate need of federal oversight or some oversight at some level. But needless to say, there are a lot of people in the sport who are extremely talented, do love the horses, treat them well, and um, have provided a very interesting sport to follow for years. But as you said, back in 73, it's a different story. It's once the sport of kings, it is not that now only the triple crown and the breeders cup seem to get the interest outside of the horse racing world mike tarico of nbc sports uh the, the greatest baseball player i ever saw in person died recently willie mays uh yeah. they talk about five tool players willie mays was six uh i, I you can give me ken, ken griffey jr you can give me uh, bonds yeah. pre steroids and all of that stuff right. willie mays had no weaknesses he was fantastic you know, Howard, it, it, it's funny as you say that you start thinking. I think in more modern days in baseball, Ken Griffey Jr. might have been the closest to that because he really did combine tremendous power with speed and that defensive ability in center field. You know, I mean, it, it really, when you, when you think about the subset of those players, you're largely, not exclusively, but largely talking either center fielders or players who started their career there. Rare was the catcher who had the speed, right? Uh, the, those corner infielders 
usually at more power, less speed. Uh, shortstops, we're great athletes on the field, but you know we, we go back to the days in baseball where you know you you'd put up with a weak hitting shortstop like a Mark Belanger in Baltimore. Those guys, you'd rather have somebody who can just pick it at short as opposed to a hitter. Pretty much the subset were the the center fielders uh, who could cover the ground and show off that defensive prowess in addition to the hitting. And I'm with you. Even though Griffey eventually got to a corner, when he was playing center, he was tremendous. I would have loved to have seen a full, dedicated to baseball only Bo Jackson and what he could have done. Mm. He was incredible, incredible, considering that he split sports and played at a high level in both. And then we know he had the the necrosis in the hip and uh, lost his best football days and uh, really physically had a tough time moving around after that. But, man, can you imagine if Bo dedicated himself exclusively to baseball, how good he might have been? No question about it. I remember doing a bowl game when Bo was still at Auburn. And, Mm. I, I mean, I remember jumping out of my seat half a dozen times during the game going, oh, my goodness, who, who, uh, who makes you do that? Who has made you do that? Who's made you go out of your seat going, wow, I can't believe what yeah. I'm seeing? It's a great, great question. You know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you two in different sports in very different ways. LeBron James, I, I'll tell you what, I had the chance to cover the NBA at ESPN and ABC. Now, the late, great David Stern made it very clear to us that the courtside seats were of great value to his owners. But he wanted us sitting courtside for the national game, so we had the best seat in the house to help tell people how exciting basketball was. And you are courtside, as opposed to being removed back a little bit in the other sports. You are right in the middle of the action. We've all had players come towards the table, you know, trying to save a ball out of bounds. When LeBron James Howard would get a rebound and kind of cup it under his arm and then start a come down the wing with speed and come past your table at midcourt, like the papers would move on your broadcast position. He was so big and strong and fluid and fast and dynamic with the ball. Um, He's the guy who I would say that I saw on a regular basis in person that just blew me away with how good he was. And then the other one is Tiger Woods. Yep. Uh, you know, I think you know, a, a lot of the magic of Tiger, why were the ratings through the roof when Tiger was playing well? To me, it was because Tiger could do something with a shot that you might never see again. Like on the sixth hole, a par five, the Canadian Open on a Friday. And Tiger's in a bunker and he's got 230 and it's over water and he hits it. He hits like a shot like you've never seen before. And he did that over and over. And there was the possibility that could happen every time he got over a shot. And I think that's why there is a different reaction to Tiger's success. So for me, those are the two guys who I got to cover on a regular basis who were just in a different stratosphere. Yeah, completely agrees. Mike Tarigo of NBC Sports. You're the heir apparent to Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football. Uh, I don't want to get into when, because that's going to be Al's decision, I would imagine. Right. Uh, and, I mean, let's face it, Al made his reputation from the Olympics with, do you believe in miracles? And, right. And that, but uh, he didn't just, he's not lasted all this long just for saying, do you believe in miracles? Right. <laughs> not, not, not for a second. And, you know, I, I, I got to follow Al in the Monday Night Football booth when Monday Night Football moved from uh, ABC um on network TV to ESPN on cable, Al went with the Sunday night package 
to NBC with John Madden and now with Chris Collinsworth. So I got to co-host a pregame show for the Super Bowl that was the last game for Al and John Madden at ABC and was with Al there. Got to work with Al during my ABC days. We did a golf event, actually. Tiger Woods playing in primetime a couple of years in a row. I was out in the Southern California area. Al was on with us because it was on on a Monday night on ABC, and they thought, have the guy who does Monday nights on ABC in the fall do it. So Al worked with us, got to know him there. And then obviously the last five years from uh, hosting the same day part at the Olympics to being on Football Night in America before Sunday Night Football and with our NFL stuff. And he, he he's just such a great storyteller. You know, Howard, he, he, Howard, he's one of those guys that you can say, Al, can you tell me the story about Ali? Tell me the story about Cosell. Tell me the story about the U.S. Olympic hockey team. It's a story that I've heard you tell before, but I want to hear you tell it again because it's so entertaining. And that, that's what uh, has helped make Al uh, so comfortable to listen to for so many years. He has told the story of thousands of athletes and coaches and teams, and um, sometimes a little bit of a little rascal, sometimes with an opinion, although it doesn't hit you over the head. It's a subtle way, to, way of doing it. And uh, I, like so many of us, have learned so much from Al's greatness and uh, continue to do that every time we get to be around him, we get to text or email or talk with him and uh, complain about our golf games together. Costas and I have had numerous conversations about today's broadcasters, and and Bob made a great observation. He said, today's broadcasters think that loud is better, and it's just loud. And I completely right. agree with him. What's your advice to young broadcasters? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's hard, Howard, because you, you want to you want to break through. There are so many broadcasters now because there are so many events on cable, on radio, streaming. I mean, heck, you know, I'm a Syracuse alum. I can watch the Syracuse softball team play 15 games on TV, right? That never happened before. That means there are more opportunities. Um, I, I, I think a, a comfortable style, one that is informative and entertaining, uh, one that you know, if you're with a, a former player or coach, relies on that analyst, helping to get that analyst tell you things that you're curious about, that your audience might be curious about. But I think it's dependable. At, at the end of the day, are you dependable for the audience? Can they count on you to be accurate, informative, entertain me at times, and let me know what's going on? And that all comes through preparation, whether it's the rules of the game, what the game means, historically the perspective as things happen um, the the stories of the players of the franchise's history even though it may have happened before you were born doesn't matter when you do your research and have all that prepared and you don't need to tell me everything but you can tell me the most important thing at the moment and that's hard i think it's a challenge we all fight i fight it every day you know i i can i can sit here and talk through an entire broadcast but the gatekeeping mode of put the best information out at the most appropriate time that will connect with the most listeners or viewers. That's what I think is the secret sauce to success long-term in this industry right now. Like the great John Wooden once said, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. He was so right. Uh, he was. Mike, I appreciate your time. I know you got to get going, but uh, thanks again for your time. And next time you go to Bayside, you go to the place called Yogi's. You remember that place? I remember Yogi's. I, I, I remember <laughs> Remember yogis, and remember, remember, remember hearing your voice during the years too. Of uh, whether it's the Jets or, or anything in the New York area, and then all the stuff with CBS. So always great to hear your voice on the other end of the phone, Howard. One of the one of the best. Thanks, Mike. Uh, you are as well. And so now we've patted each other on the back. I'm gonna let you go. 
and and work on who's going to play you in the movies. Thanks again for your I, time. I, I will work on a better answer than that next time, I promise. Thank okay. you, man. Hey, stay safe. You too, Howard. Take care. Good health to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mike Tirico, NBC Sports. Uh, good dude. Good dude. He's achieved a lot since he broke in with ESPN. 25 years there. ABC. NBC then, ultimately. Uh, he's done a lot. But he's one of those guys, like, we're in a competitive business. And I'm going to tell you flat out that when you are in a competitive business, there's jealousies involved. Mike is one of those guys that I root for to succeed. Uh, he has been there. He has done that. And he continues to grow. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube